So we've been talking, and actually we're going to conclude today on our series called Chosen. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through 29. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. <clears throat> Where you see, by the way, praise and worship was off the chain. They, say, they still say that? Okay. It was good, man. It was good. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, rather 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise... According to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen. Everybody say chosen. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, big zeros in everybody else's opinion. He said he chose those to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. So we said last week that the world looks for greatness in things that are already great. If I needed a legal team to help me out of a jam or spot, I would want to hire the best of the best. I want the most talented, the most skilled. I want the most reputable, the most, I want a junkyard dog. Come on, somebody. I, I, I don't know about the other, what's that one guy? One call, that's, I'm not, I'm not sure about the one call, that's all guy. I want a guy, come on, that knows how to get in there. I want a guy that's, that's, um, that's, um, uh, that's has experience, high IQ, you know what I'm talking pedigree. I want that. But God doesn't choose the way that you and I would choose. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he shocks the world and chooses weak things to confound the wisdom of the wise. He uses things that are debased, things that are under, things that everybody else calls a zero, he makes into a hero. Amen. So he said the world looks for greatness in what's already great. God hides greatness in what is ordinary. Ooh, Jesus, come on, somebody. Why? Because when greatness comes out of greatness, nobody will give God the glory. It's an expectation. Well, you're great. We hired you for that task. We know you're already great. We expected that to happen. You don't give God the glory. But when greatness comes out of weakness, everybody shakes their head and says, huh? And I just believe there's people here in 2019, by the time this year is over with, there's going to be people in your life going to be scratching their head going, what you talking about, Willis? Am I right about it? You are going to confound people, blow people away because there's something that, call, that we're going to move into in just a moment that's going to cause you to say, wow, there is greatness in me, but it looked ordinary, but with God, all things are possible. Yeah. All you got to do is even look on, on television. How many loves Joel Osteen? If you don't love Joel Osteen, you ain't saved. <laughs> that's also in the Bible. You must love Jesus and Joel Osteen to get to heaven. I mean, the guy, you just got to love the guy. He just gets up there. He's got a red face, and he just tells a little joke, and gee golly, and raise your Bible, and, and he's got billions of people following him. I mean, this is way, amazing. But look at me thinking, well, how can this guy? You know what I mean? He's just kind of simple, you know? He's a good-looking guy and all that, but he's just kind of a simple guy, and he gets up there, and here's a guy that never, ever, ever desired being in front of a camera. He worked for his father in the television department behind the camera. He was the guy that organized his dad's television ministry. He never desired to be in the pulpit. He never desired to be in front of the camera. He didn't want to preach. Matter of fact, he had not preached one sermon when his dad on his deathbed said, Son, 
He said, the Lord spoke to me. You're the one. You are my successor. You're going to take over Lakewood Church and have a worldwide ministry. And he's thinking, first he told his dad, no, no, no. Now his dad said, yes, yes, God told me. But he's got other brothers that preach. And he's got sisters that preach. He was the only non-preacher in the family. But God called old Joel. Y'all ain't getting happy enough. God sees in you what you don't even see in yourself. And he's touching the whole wide world. How about Joyce Myers? Another incredible testimony. Here's a woman literally was totally broken, completely angry at everybody, everybody in life, um, went through a divorce, uh, ends up in church, and she knows the call of God in her life, and finally her pastor gives an opportunity to have her own Bible study in her own home, but didn't know how she was going to do the Bible study. You know how she taught her first Bible study? She smoked her cigarettes while she was teaching the Word. She said, in my short shorts, she said, I taught my, the word of God and smoked my cigarette. Joyce Myers, ooh. And look at Joyce now touching the whole wide world. God saw greatness in what everybody else considered to be ordinary. You know, I think the real truth is, is that I, I, don't, I don't think we're asking big enough. I don't think we're thinking big enough. I'm talking about when it comes to God. Because when God tells you to do something, it's pretty big. So why not ask big? Come on, somebody. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 2. God told Abram, before he was Abraham, he said, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. On Thursday nights, I'm dealing with uh, the series. I'm, the series is called um, um, Living My Blessed Life. So I'm teaching about the blessing of God. Uh, I want you here on Thursday, but if you can't catch it on Thursday night, be here. Catch it on our, our, our podcast. But, um, and I'm teaching all about the blessing. But he blessed him. He said, I'm going to make your name great. But I want you to notice something about Abraham. Because he's the father of us all. And the only reason he's the father of us all because God grafted us in, let me teach you something, to the Jewish family. We are now Jews and Gentiles through Jesus Christ have been grafted together as one family under God. God being the father. But by way of Jesus Christ. So in Galatians chapter 3, the Bible says, because we're of the seed of Jesus, we are now of the seed of Abraham. And though we weren't blood relatives, because most of us in the room are Gentiles, we may not be Jewish, but because of the blood of Jesus, he now, we have a covenant, not just a new covenant, but also the old covenant get tied together through Jesus Christ. So that Jesus becomes the spiritual blessing of eternal life and all well-being in that world. But also we have the blessing of Abraham. Which is what? All the natural blessings, your, your health, your wealth, your prosperity, lands, all that kind of stuff. That is all the natural blessing. So we better thank God. Thank Jesus I get to go to heaven one day, but I thank God also I can be blessed on this earth. That's the blessing of Abraham that's upon our lives. So church, God, just like Abraham, trying to get you to see this, God wants to make you great. He said, I want to make you great, and he said, I'm going to bless you to do it. Okay? So God wants to make you great. That word great simply means I want to make you successful and I want, you, want to make you fruitful. Because a fruitless life is a frustrated life. 
So we have to say, Lord, you put something inside of me. I want what's in me to become fruitful. God blesses you so that you're able to have that fruit in your life. And I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But it's not an automatic church. Just because God spoke to you or gave you a word of promise or laid his hand upon you or gave you a specific skill and anointing doesn't mean what's in there isn't automatic. Everything in this life requires your faith. I'm preaching that on Thursday nights. In other words, it's blessing my life too, folks, because I'm finding out that it's not an automatic. Just because I have skill in one area doesn't mean it's automatic. I still got to put one foot in front of the other. I got to walk by faith and not by sight. What does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight? That means, and this might seem controversial, that means I receive a word from God that I know that I know that I know that is true, but my mind may struggle with it. But I'm going to walk it by faith even if my mind tells me, you can't do that. You can't have that. So I walk it out by faith. I may not have the outcome I'm looking for, but in the end, it will all work out because God said, I bless those who are faithful. Faithful. Amen, somebody. So everything we walk out, we walk out by faith. Everything in this world, faith is a direct component to your obedience to God and his word. In other words, again, my mind not agree with what God tells me. Love your neighbor as yourself. Lord, have you seen my neighbor? Do you know? Come on. But yet the Bible tells me to do it. So my heart knows it's true. My mind says, uh-uh. That's my pride, my ego. Come on, somebody. I ain't going to love on them. They're hateful people. I don't even like them people. But I'm going to do what? I'm going to walk by faith. And not by sight. Therefore, I'm going to do what the book tells me to do. That is faith. And faith pleases God. And faith moves mountains. By the way, there are three ways that God has given us to receive what we need. Number one, I'm talking about in this earth, in this life. Three ways. Number one is through him. So God may speak to you a word, and you're in prayer, and you feel, yeah, I got something from God, and you write it down. Or a a man of God or a woman of God walks up to you and gives you a word that you, I I believe that's true. Like, uh, we got Prophet Miller coming, and he may give you, he's going to give many words. He may give you a word, and you go, that's the truth. So we we have it that way. Also, we receive through his word, through God's word. That's probably the highest authority that we have so the bible the b-i-b-l-e the book the bible we read the bible and god speaks through his word to give us a promise so now i got his word i'm hearing with his voice now i have the word that he gives me through his word but the third way is you receive from god is through his prophets or his mouthpiece something called the five fold or five faceted ministry which is what prophet apostle evangelist pastor and teacher those are the five giftings that God gives to instruct his people. So they got to be obedient to what he says to speak what God says to the people. So we have three ways. We have it through him directly. We have it through his word. And we have it through his prophets. How do we get the prophet part? Well, 2 Chronicles 20 talks about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat's in a bind. He wakes up one morning and he is surrounded by the enemies. Three different countries come together to come against Israel. So the intimidation factor is off the charts. He's not prepared for war. He wakes up with a word from somebody saying, they're coming to kill us. What do we do? We're sieged. So he says, "Uh, I don't know what to do. Fear strikes his heart. He goes to the tabernacle. He begins to pray and to seek God and to set a fast. So he begins to no, no food, pray and ask God. Out of the prayer, God sends a prophet. 
The prophet comes and says, God has heard your prayer. Now watch how this works. God has heard your prayer, and he wants you to know the battle's not yours, but it's the Lord's. You won't fight the battle like you think. Now you're going to have to stand up to the devil. You're going to stand up to the enemy here, but you're going to do it differently. Instead of going out with uh, knives and, 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 with, and with, with swords and, and with bows and arrows and, and javelins, instead of doing that, I want you to send the praise and worship leaders out there and begin to lead the people into a praise before God. And as you praise God, the Lord will set an ambush against your enemy. I wonder, do we got some praisers in the house today? Those are people who know how to go to battle because you're fighting it the proper way. And so then he said, now when you do that, the Lord will, will destroy them and go then and take the reward with you. And here's what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. In verse 20, so they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe the Lord your God, okay, and you shall be established. Believe, your prof believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. So we see God's word. God speaks through his word. In other words, you hear his voice. And number three is he speaks it through the mouth of one of his prophets. Those are the three ways you receive. So what do they do? They went out and praised God. And just like God said, God confused the enemy. They started fighting each other, destroyed each other, killed each other. This is amazing. And it took them three days to pick up the spoils and take it back to camp. So God rewarded them because of their faithfulness to fight the battle spiritually and not naturally. Notice that the war that Jehoshaphat was engaged in only lasted one day. So if it only lasts one day, why in the world are we battling for five and ten years? Y'all didn't hear me. Over the same daggone issue. What I mean by that, you walk up to somebody and say, hey, how you doing? Man, I'd be doing pretty good if that devil wasn't after me all the time. Well, Jesus' name, help him, Lord, help him, Lord. Run into him a year later, come on, at the gas station, right? How you doing? Man, I'll tell you right now, that devil be after me. I mean, everywhere I go, it's like he's just attacking me. Well, Father, help him in Jesus' name. Five years later, how you doing? You had pick and save. How you doing? Man, if that devil wasn't attacking me all the time, my God, what's wrong with you? How long have you been in the same battle? The battle's not yours, it's the Lord's. All he wants you to do is to engage it, but then deal with it in the name of Jesus. You were never meant to be engaged in a long, drawn-out fight. Why? Because it will wear you out. And most people are wore out because you know why? We end up fighting in the flesh rather than warfaring in the spirit. And he was teaching Jehoshaphat, you are not prepared to fight this battle. And what you got to do is you got to learn to put it in the spirit. Otherwise, you're going to get wore out. Can I tell you something? The devil comes and all. He does, the devil does not show up in red underwear. You know, long johns, a pitchfork, horns, a long goatee. And say, I'm the devil. And I'm here to steal, kill, and destroy. You get out of here, devil. You, you take care of that. He don't come like that. You know what he comes in the form of? Your husband. Your wife. Your children. Uncle so-and-so. Aunt so-and-so. Co-worker. Neighbor. Now, they don't know they're the devil. 
but they're being used by the devil. Don't get all high and mighty. You've been used by him too. Amen. Yes, sir. We all have, right? So now then, what do we got to do? Well, we, what, what happens is the devil's very keen. He gets it. If he gets you fighting Uncle so-and-so, get you on Facebook, rebuking everybody. Devil is a lie. Come on, somebody. And doing all that kind of stuff. Now he's got you right where he wants you in the battle of the flesh. Because as long as he gets you thinking that it's actually so-and-so's problem and their problem and they're the reason and they're the aggravation and they're the frustration, he's got you licked. Because now you're fighting them and not defeating the devil. That's why this thing's called the good fight of faith. The devil knows if it gets you get in the faith arena, you're going to win. You will overcome. Faith will cause you to hyper-focus on the answer. It will change the way you think. When you get in the arena of faith, you believe that business is possible. You believe uh, that that outcome is possible. You will begin to look at stuff. You'll, you'll no longer go, man, I got so many problems. I got so many issues. No, no more problems. You might have some challenges. Y'all see how I, switch, how I switch that? Faith focuses and even changes the, your vocabulary to go, this ain't my problem. This is nothing more than a challenge. It's just a bit, a bit, a bit of test for me to get through. Once I get through this, it's going to be a-okay. Everything's going to get better on the other side. Faith puts pressure on this thing to bring it to pass. All right, how many remember, I remember the days, I'm making a comeback now. There's something called, for you young people that might not know, something called a record player. Y'all remember the record player? And they used to put something called records on there or an album, right? And they had albums where you had artwork and stuff like that. That's making a comeback. And so, but back in those days, that's all we had. It was eight tracks, record players, and oh, my God, then the cassette came out. We thought, oh, man, we are high tech. How many remember, how many remember eight tracks? Now, you want how many songs? You got like four songs on one side? No, you got three and a half songs on one side. Remember you had to flip it over and turn it, and you got the other half on the other song side, right? Remember that? A and B? Yeah, that's how long that goes. And then they had eight tracks. So cars had eight tracks in them, remember? But when the cassette came out, oh, Jesus, in the early 80s, we had cassettes now. And so now then, they had something called a converter, an eight-track converter. So you got this long cartridge that would go inside the eight-track, but outside, the, but about this long, was a full-on full on cassette player. It'd be plugged in. Y'all have to see this. It's like this long. It'd be plugged in, and you put your tape in there. It'd be right here. But when you hit the bumps, come on, somebody. It'd be like a, like a, like a, like a diving board, right? And it starts skipping. I remember those days. We were high tech, baby. We were high tech. But records. And then sometimes your favorite record, because you play it too often, don't take care of it sometimes, and you get a little scratch in the record. Remember that? And what would it do? It'd skip. It would put you on a what? Replay pattern. So you hear the whole thing over and over and over again. So you go, somebody, come on, put, do something about that. But then we figured out something. If you take some pennies, and you take the pennies and stack them up. Y'all remember, what I'm, do you know what I'm saying? And you put them on the end of that needle, that cartridge, and the end of that, that arm, it would put enough weight on that thing. It would weight it to keep that needle in the groove. 
so that when the skip came, come on somebody, it would just fly right through that, 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 that scratch and play your favorite song with no problem whatsoever. In other words, if you put enough pressure on it, When you use your faith, you're putting pressure on the circumstance to keep your life in the groove so you won't be on replay the rest of your life. Somebody say amen. amen. Touch your neighbor. Say you will win. Just say you will win. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 14. Now thanks be to God who leads us in triumph. I didn't give the scripture, so a little bit behind me. Leads us in triumph in Christ. Everything I do turns out for victory. Now, I noticed that in my life, everything I did didn't turn out the way I wanted it to be. I mean, there's some things. I have a feeling, had God told me some of the things I'd have to go through, I may not have started the journey at all. But because I was ignorant, come on, somebody. And I had to do it anyways. I, I didn't know. So I'm bumping along trying to figure out the will of God, right? Just trying to figure out the will of God. And you just act like you know what you're doing, though. Just always act like you know what you're doing. You don't have a clue what you're doing. Just, amen. That's right. Exactly how I want to be. And you know inside you're going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. But when I found this out, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, everything is going to cause me to triumph as long as I'm in Christ. So he works it out for his glory and for my betterment somehow, some way. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1. And this is, guys, this is chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And then it's going to be verse 7 and verse 24. 1, 2, 7, 24. It says, then we journeyed, toured, turned rather, and journeyed into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea as the Lord spoke to me. Watch this. And we skirted Mount Seir for many days. And the Lord spoke to me saying, you have skirted this mountain long enough. Am I talking to somebody today? Are you ready to move beyond this scenery you've been in for a while, this scenario? For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He knows you're trudging. He knows you're trudging through the great wilderness. That tells me God knows what I'm going through. These 40 years the Lord your God has been with you, you have lacked nothing. Rise, take, this is verse 24, take uh, your journey and cross over the river Arnon. Look, I have given into your hands Sion, the Amorite king of Heshbon, and his land, watch this, begin to possess it. If you're tired of going around that daggone mountain, oh my, why am I saying daggone? I have no idea. I must have heard a movie last night that said that. But I'm saying it anyways. It's not cussing, is it? Am I cussing? That's just hillbilly, right? Just a little country? Okay, good. It's okay? All right. I don't want to offend anybody. So here we go. And so now then, you're going around that mountain, right, over and over. Then guess what? you got to change the pace. How? By faith. He says, I've put these people, these, these enemies into your hand. But now then, begin to possess it and engage him in battle. The reason why we have the same warfare going on around our lives over and over, year after year, is because we're refusing to engage it. We have to engage it, not in the natural, but in the spiritual with God's word. Now, let me connect the dots here, okay? Look at Genesis chapter 12, 1 and 2. 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And here it is. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. He said, I'm going to make your name great. We have to stop thinking that our name will be made great due to the fact that we serve a great God alone. He is great alone. But I notice that doesn't change our position because he's great. In other words, I said, and greatness means he wants to make us successful and make us fruitful. But the way that he does it is it requires my faith to, to enact it, to empower it, to come to pass. Your name, he said, being your name great. Your name is you. It's your life. It's your legacy, and God wants to make it great. I'm going to make this statement. Nepotism does not make you great. Nepotism is just favor, favoritism by a family member. That doesn't make you great just because you have a great name. The fight, the battle that you wage is what makes you great. It's the battle you engage that makes you great. It's not how good your life has been, how easy it's been, how, you know, we just never go through problems. That's not making you great. It's the fact that you have the guts and the courage to step up and say, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. I'll fight the fight because that's the fight you want me to fight. But I'm telling you right now, I can't do it without you. Well, that's good because you can't. So it requires my faith. I've got to put full trust in him. Full trust in him to win. David wasn't great. His name was great, by the way. David's name was great because David was the son of Jesse, and everybody knew who Jesse was. When God told Sammy to go to Jesse's house, he told Sammy he didn't give him a last name. Go to Jesse. Everybody knew who Jesse was. And he anointed David king as a young man in Jesse's house, but nobody knew it. And he had a great name. But no greatness, no manifestation of greatness. Life. Until what? Until the day came that his father made some cheese sandwiches because he was from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And said, go out and feed your brothers and give me a report of what's going on uh, on, the, on the battleground. Because they were at war with the Philistines. So he goes out there, got his little basket going out there. I'm going to feed my brother. Hey, brother, brother. Oh, they're over here. Okay. But he gets out there, and everybody is, no, there's no fighting. And he can see the army off the far, far distance of the Philistines, and nobody's fighting. And he sees a giant down in the valley screaming and cussing him out. And tell him, look, send your, your greatest warrior to fight me. And if I win, you bow. We take you into slaves. You win, we'll bow. You take us into slaves. Who will you send? And he cussed them out, intimidated them. The king was in his tent, intimidated. And David said, hold on a second here. What in the world? Who is this guy out there coming against the armies of the living God? Who is this uncircumcised? He cussed him back. And he said, I'll take him on. Uh, 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 you just a boy. I don't care. God was with me when no one saw it. And he'll be with me here too. And he went out, and he, before he took the giant down, he spoke these words today. He told the giant, today I'm going to kill you. I'm going to take off your head, and I'm going to feed your body to the fowls of the air. You will come under us today. Ha, ha, ha. And he slung that stone, took him down, killed that boy, took off his head with his own sword. David didn't even have a sword. Took it off with his sword. 
and they all bowed their knee, and they said, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. In other words, God made his name great when he was willing to fight. Are you ready to go to battle against the giant in your life the moment you step out and fight? You'll bring him down. And now fruitfulness is going to come. And now success will begin to become yours. Sad to say that most church folks, they come to church to be babied. They pout when they don't get their way. Mm. Sometimes I wonder, sometimes I wonder, we go in and we tell our kids, go to children's church over here, the kids' church. We, we, we bring them out and we run it down, be good. And you obey the teacher, listen to the teacher, and play nice and share. We tell them that stuff, right? Okay, we'll see you in about an hour and a half, okay? I think sometimes the kids be dropping the parents off saying to them, now, now listen to me. When you go in there, the, the, the big sanctuary where the adults are, be nice. Listen to the pastor and share. Make sure you share. Because I see a lot of adults are nothing but big babies. And I'm thinking this isn't what the church was meant for. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, mature, I put away childish things. Church is not a daycare romper room for adults. Church is headquarters for military strategy and defeating the enemy. It's a place we come to get receive information from the most high God to carry it out. It's also a hospital room. I don't want no, I don't want a bunch of uh, immature RNs and doctors trying to take care of me when I'm in a trauma situation. I want some skilled people that are mature that know how to handle business. And when they come in here broken, we got to be here to love them and help them. Amen, church. Amen. And the reason why we have this is because we don't recognize the battle that we are in. And um, let me just tell you that um, part of the fight of faith in your battle is the love fight. Because he commanded us to love the unlovable. And you know, it's easy to love people who love you back. It's difficult to love people that don't offer their love to you at all. As a matter of fact, look, you're like, mm, and just, you know, it's kind of hard. But this is what's required. And I said this, I'll, let me give this verse, and then I, I'll, I'll, say this, I'll, I'll say this thought. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but with the temptation. He didn't say he'd take the temptation away. He said, but with the temptation, he'll make the way of escape that you be able to bear it. One of the greatest temptations I find in church world is to love, not love my brother or my sister when they're being unlovable or to have something in my heart against somebody or angry or have hatred or unforgiveness Another translation of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is this. You will never face anything that you will not overcome. That's God's promise to us. Faith overcomes every single negative uh, situation in our lives. 
And when that, we get that revelation of that, folks, let me tell you something. Your battling days for long periods of time are over. Yes, there are battles. Yes, no doubt about it. And yes, the devil tries to take advantage. Of course he does. Absolutely, that happens. But it's not meant. Even Jesus, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, only battled the devil for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And then he went away because he was defeated and came back for another opportune time. So you're not in a perpetual battle. I learned that from my mother. <laughs> she didn't believe in long battles. My mother corrected me. I mean, on the spot, instantaneously. Y'all have a mother like that? I got a five-foot-tall Italian woman, mother. I mean, she'd be on the phone. I'd be acting up. Be on the phone. Yeah, Jesus, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Isn't that one? Be acting up over here. Uh-huh, amen. Take her shoe. I'm not kidding you. Take her shoe. Praise the Lord, amen. Well, let me just pray with you. Boom. And hit me. Oh, my God. I'll kill you. I'll kill you. How many had a mother like that? No long battles. We take care of this right now, nip it in the bud, it's done. Now, back in the day, we used to go to Kmart a lot. In the 70s, all the kids were getting whipped at Kmart. Today, you can't do that anymore. That's why Kmart's no longer around, amen. They're whipping them kids. They said, you can't be whipping these kids anymore. But they needed a whipping. And they didn't have no cameras back in those days. Camera. There ain't no camera. No camera on nobody's phone. And nobody cared. And when a kid got whipped, all the friends were, amen. Whip that kid. Tired of listening to that nonsense. I'm not kidding you. Did that happen to you too? I mean, take care of business right on the spot. My mother used to say to me, my yes is yes and my no is no. And so I kind of learned it. I mean, I'm, I kind of learned it that way. You got to be that way with the devil. My yes is yes. My no is no. I'm not backing down. You got no choice but to go. You must go. You cannot. You cannot come up in here and prove that. Amen. Did y'all enjoy the word today?